This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. This is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Well, we are back, and the Campbell family has a new member. Our, our second grandson, Austin, was born last week, and so we're super excited about that. Congratulations. Thank you. Is he, is he following in the cuteness tale of his older brother? Because Wyatt is just adorable. Wyatt is completely adorable. I, I have absolutely no doubt. Julie says that he looks just like both the boys when they were that age. Our, our boys are twins. And his mother put a baby picture of of Austin next to a baby picture of Wyatt, and they're identical. So wow, I, I'm guessing he's going to be cute because they're all cute. So now the work is how to keep the personalities cute. <laughs> <laughs> and Wyatt is it? And you, we may hear Wyatt in the background because he's here today as as Mama gets her strength back, and it's easier to deal with one than two. So we've For got sure. uh, we've got older brother here today. So we may hear him. But it's super exciting and, you know, can't wait. wait. They've already made their first appointment for late night. Maybe this is even overnight um, babysitting. <laughs> and they went all the way out to December 29th because a friend of theirs is getting married. So it's not like we're not going to have them 100 times between now and then. Right. But uh, yeah. they have locked down December 29th, which is great. And it, it is just it's so much fun being a grandparent, as all of you grandparents out there know. Uh, our topic for today is confusing, so I'm going to let Taylor <laughs> in, It's interesting, but I, it's hard to just say it's eh, it's this. So I'm going to let Taylor just start off with the topic. Okay, so what I wanted to talk to y'all about today is a technique that I use when I'm working on a complex chapter or series of chapters. And so we're talking about chapter structuring. And this technique is something that I call blocking um, because it means working with blocks. And so for me, when this comes up is when you have a lot of moving parts inside a single chapter. And those moving parts are not necessarily taking place at the moment, like when the character is trying to figure things out. So it's mental. It's a lot of mental work. The character is trying to figure things out and relating past to present and sort of the analysis that goes in and trying to solve a puzzle or a crime or figure out who's chasing them or whatever. And I did use this technique um, quite a bit in the Monroe stories. But where I've sort of come to depend on it is with these new books, um, Liar's Paradox and now the second that's following. And 
in these in this new series, the it's a different style of storytelling than what I did with the Monroe stories. The primary reason for this is that there are multiple main characters. And the I'm hoping by telling you this, I'm not going to ruin the reading experience for every for anyone. But the um, Liar's Paradox is almost frenetic in its pace. It doesn't let down at all to the point where uh, when we were getting ready to submit it, my agent was like, do you think maybe we should add a little bit to it? just to kind of slow it down a little and let the reader catch their breath. And I was like, well, then I'm basically making up stuff that doesn't belong in the story, and it's just fluff and filler for nothing except to let the reader catch breath. So in the end, we decided not to do that. But the truth of the matter is the story is not frenetic. It's not nonstop because so much of it is reflecting back on something that happened. So we have multiple characters and the scenes will close out with what's happening to that character and pick back up with another. But you don't know what happened to the first character after the scene closed out because we've moved on to character two. So when we pick back up with character one, we have to catch up the reader on what happened without actually just saying he did this and he did this and blah, 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 blah. And it's all done through literally telling. The the characters are basically telling their story of what happened, but it's not telling in the sense of I, I, I. It's memories and emotions that connect the missing pieces that the reader didn't get in on to the present, and it feels like it's happening right then and there, even though the character's like, then this happened and that happened, and he did this and this and this and this, but doesn't feel that way. So it, that's kind of like the um, pulling back the curtain and seeing the non-wizard, Wizard of Oz. It's As you're reading it, it doesn't feel as if it's all being just told to you because it feels so present tense, but you're actually in a character's memories of what you missed seeing. So to do that, it gets quite complicated because you're mixing past and present inside the same chapter and tying what the reader didn't see to how it connects in the present moment. Because Character in action, character in action, character movement, that's what drives the story forward. You can't just sit a character down on a bench and then tell a long story of what he's thinking and have him navel gaze and then get him to stand up and keep the story going. So the way that I would do this and be able to keep it where it feels very immediate as if it's happening right now versus the actual navel gazing that's going on is through blocking. And that would be that it's a, the technique is basically you take all the pieces related to a single subject or a single event. So if we're talking about, you know, something that happened five years ago, that everything that's related to those five years ago is going to be blocked out. 
and be a single sort of, you know, four or five paragraph block that relates to that. And let's say that you also know that in that chapter, you need to relate the five years ago to something that happened five hours ago. So, but maybe the five hours ago is only, you know, a paragraph. So you've got that paragraph as your block. And then you've got what the character is doing right now in the moment that triggered either one of those memories. That becomes a block. And so each of those blocks now become like Lego pieces. And once you have your blocks and, and you know what it is you're trying to convey in this entire chapter, like there, there's movement, there's character movement in the present, there's character reflection on the past, there's character analysis that connects past to present, and so on. You have, once you have all your blocks, then it becomes a matter of moving them around until they hit the right order that they make logical sense. Because sometimes, just like in everyday life, our emotions and our memories and things that we get triggered by, they don't come in a linear fashion. They come to us sort of all jumbled together. And, you know, sometimes therapy helps you sort them apart and figure out you're reacting to thing B over here, but it's thing A that triggered you or whatever. So in the same way that happens with us in real life, the characters also, when the stories are complex, their motives are jumbled, their reasoning is jumbled, they don't actually know what's going on or they're trying to figure something out. So the possibilities are vast. You can't just have a character just know what's going to happen. How? How do they know? So there's this... this work involved of guiding the character's thinking process in the direction it needs to, to go so that the person who's reading it is like, well, yeah, of course, that is the obvious conclusion. And you're eliminating other possibilities that the reader might be coming up with going, well, why didn't he do this? Well, why didn't he think that? That's just stupid that he just automatically came to that conclusion. So it's a jumble. It's a mess. All these different pieces that you've got to cover as the character walks through his thinking process, connect it to the past. And so sometimes the reason why I do it in blocks is because sometimes one thought will actually lead in two different directions that you've got. So that's two blocks now under it. And so by doing it in blocks, you can actually just cut and paste and move those pieces around until you have the right flow where the logic bleeds from one to the next to the next and it makes sense. And if you try and do that, just the pieces individually without blocking it out first, it's so easy for you as the author to get confused because you lose the threads yourself of, wait, when was it that he thought and why did he? So by blocking it out, you get your own thoughts coherent of, Everything that's attached to that one thing is part of that block. And so that has basically saved my butt in structuring these chapters that are so, there's so much in them connected to each other, past, present, telling, showing. But when you read it, it doesn't feel that way. So that's my technique that I wanted to tell you about. Okay. I've got lots of questions. All right. As you were going through. So um, the, first, the first question, I guess, is 
technically, how are you blocking this out? I know you write in Word. So are you actually uh, just like triple spacing between paragraphs to create a block that you can move around? Yeah, that's to, more to or less what I, yeah. It's more, and sometimes it's not, sometimes it'll just, it'll be sentences are one sentence is a block because it's like a stream of conscious and it's like, which order does this need to go for it actually to make sense? The logical flow sense that doesn't, make you go, wait, what? So sometimes the blocks can be as small as, as a sentence or a, a two-sentence paragraph. All right. So when you are building the paragraph, do you actually start with the blocks? Uh, no, it's kind of like it comes in layers. Uh, like I'll have the main sense of it that comes out of my outline. Like this is the chapter where, you know, Jack is on the run and he's has no idea what happened to his sister and he knows that so-and-so is after him. So he decides to go here. And when he goes here, he discovers ABC and that leads him to whatever. So I'll have the sort of a, a, a general, like uh, vague sort of blocks la la laid out like that. But those but are all that... like present tense blocks. Right. And then as I start writing it and filling in the details, I'll start questioning, like, well, why did he just assume that? What was it then? And then the logic starts, the, the convoluted logic starts coming in. And so I'll I'll just rough it out. It, it, it comes out, it's, it's just word vomit. And then as the chapter begins to grow, I'll be like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't belong here. That's part of a different block. And I'll just copy, copy it, cut it, and stick it down with wherever I think it needs to go, and I'll go back to what I was doing. And I'll get it sort of semi-coherent, and then I'll be like, all right, what's the next thing that really has to happen in this chapter? And I'll look over the material that I got there, and it'll work a little bit. And so, like, right now, um, I've been beating my head against a two- or three-chapter sequence because I've got so many blocks that are interconnected. And I already have the blocks, and it's not like the words in them need a lot of tweaking. I'm looking for the logic flow. And... So in, in the chapter that I'm working right now, there's a lot of memories. Um, with these twins, their, their mother plays a huge, I mean, she's a driving force that has messed up their lives, messed them up, kept them alive. It, it's just, it's a mess. Um, so everything just always comes back to her and, and what she did or how she would have done something. They the skills that they have are because of her, you know, whatever. So in, in the chapter that I'm working now, there's a lot of reminiscing going on. But when you have too much reminiscing in one place, it can really start to feel like navel gazing. So it comes down to, all right, we've got this reminiscing. What if what parts of this reminiscing here are actually necessary for this part of the scene? And what parts can be shoved into a different chapter as they relate to something else, something that we're trying to convey? And because these are essentially espionage, spy novels. The mother is, you know, Cold War spy, whatever. Um, it, there's a lot of tradecraft involved. Tradecraft that maybe people might know about or might not know about, but it explains how and why these two younger people have the skills that they do. And so for somebody entering the series with the second book, they have to have a sense of, how, they're not super people who just, automatically know how to do this stuff. It came from somewhere. So the decisions they make, the 
whether to abide by the training they have or to reject it and do something else, always goes back to Claire, the mother. So you get too much of that in one chapter, and we're not in the moment anymore. You don't have enough of it, and all of a sudden, we don't understand why they're making the decisions that they're making. So by doing it as blocks and be able, being able to differentiate you know, okay, so there's this, in this chapter that I'm working, part of the rough material, a rough block, is how personal it feels to be shot at and for somebody to want to kill you, even if you have no idea who that person is or why they want to kill you or who they are, uh, and you know it's not personal for them, it still feels personal, okay? So that's that's character insight right there that gives us the character depth of, of how the character feels about the moment. Does that block belong in the chapter that I'm writing right now? If I try and squeeze it in, it might clutter the chapter, but I have that block and now I can move it elsewhere to another scene, perhaps, where somebody is trying to kill the character. And we have that block ready and waiting. So sometimes blocks will move from one chapter to the next to the next until I find the right place for it to fit where it's not going to interrupt the flow and the pace of the story or become too much or too much of the same thing or navel gazing or what have you. So when you are first plotting out the book, there's the present tense part. I've, I've read the first book or a, a, a later draft of the first book. So there's the present tense action that's taking place. There's the historical timeline. Uh, and, and there are some things that, are, that happen sequentially in that. Do you, as you're plotting out the book or outlining the book, do you have it in mind, these are the two timelines or the three or the four or whatever the number is of timelines that I want to deal with, and this is the information in the earlier timelines that I want to get across? Or are you building that as you find the need for it? In, well, that type of storytelling only took place in the first book. The second story is too big of a story to allow room for those uh, past the history to come in like that. Mm -hmm. But in in the case of the first one, it was more a, case, a sense of, I need to convey that this event happened. And that event is what's driving the... So this event happened in the past, and that event is what's driving the present day uh, action or moment or whatever. Is this story better served by showing it real time as it happened then? Or is, is it small enough that I can slip it in to the character's memories and reflections in current day? So it wasn't so much a matter of here's the past timeline, here's the present timeline. It's knowing that here's the information, here, here's what the reader needs to know, here's what the reader needs to see, which way is better to let them see it. Okay, and then you mentioned the difference in the first book and the second book. Uh, I, I go back to the first two Monroe books. In, in, the early, in the first Monroe book, there was a lot of history in the book, and, and then in later books, it was more like mental flashbacks versus like big blocks of information. This happened in the past and right. then we're back into the present. Is it, it kind of similar with this where there was a lot of it in the first book 
or more in the first book than in the second book? Because you had to create the backstory? Um, in, it's more about this, each individual story itself. So like, and also about the skill, the writing skill. Like, so when I started writing The Informationist, I didn't know how to write. I learned how to write writing that book. And at the time, the only way I felt that I could convey the case history of the person Monroe would be trying to find was to put it in dossier format. I don't know if I would still make that same decision today or if I might do it through a conversation instead, use dialogue. I don't know. Uh, thankfully, I don't have to know because I'm never going to rewrite that book. But um, the the problem with doing it as dossier for the history is it creates sort of an interruption in the flow of the story, and it becomes a gentle form of info dumping. And so it works, but maybe not the cleanest technique for doing it. I didn't know anything better. I didn't know what I was doing back then, and nobody suggested I changed it, change it, so it stayed. Um, moving forward in present tense, uh, the difference, the reason why we get so much history in the first book and not the second does have a lot to do with showing how the characters came to be who they are, but it also ties in to the mystery and the plot and trying to figure out what exactly is going on. Because the first story relates a lot to the mother's past and so the only and and the twins' past. And so the only way to for the present to make any sense at all is by knowing what triggered these events in the past. The present day, the, the story that I'm writing right now isn't tied to the past in the same way. It's tied to events that spin from the first story. So it's much more current and requires far less, far fewer flashbacks to actually tell the story, to get the information there. And so in this case, the flashbacks mainly pertain to understanding the character's frame of mind and the choices that they make. Okay. And a question that occurred to me, it's unrelated to the topic, but since we're talking about going from the first book to the second book, and I, I think I remember how the first book ended, and I think I have some sense of, the, of at least the early storyline in the second book, how do you bring readers of just the second book up to speed? I, we've talked about this before, but there's so much detail in the first book, to, to building these characters and explaining their backstory. It's not like you could say, well, yeah, they were both Navy SEALs, and that's why they have these skills. There was a lot that went into, into making them believable as characters. How do you recreate that in a way that doesn't annoy people that just read the first book in the second book? And what's, what's the secret sauce to that? Uh, if I knew the recipe to my own secret sauce. <laughs> um, That's so, what we do here. We provide the recipes. That's half we, the craft. We figure out the recipes as we go. <laughs> um, so what I'm doing, the way that I'm addressing that concern is so much of who they are is because of their mother. And it's not necessary to rehash 
all that came before. It's a sense of what does the reader need to know right now for this to make sense in this story? And so rather than give the whole history of the kids, you can sort of give give brief overview of it. And then you get flashbacks of actual situations that they were in, things that happened to them. And I'll give you a very small spoiler uh, to give to give you to, to not be vague. It's so vague when you're trying to dodge around. It's a very small spoiler. It doesn't affect the plot. It's just one of those instances that clarifies what kind of mother Claire was and what these kids went through and why they are what they are is in the middle of one of the earlier sequences that are introducing Jack, who's the brother. He is tying in something that his sister said in the present that is like inside, not an inside joke, but inside lingo between them. Like you can say a few words and because of their shared history, they under it means so much more. And so he's reflecting back on the first time that he heard those words spoken in the context that his sister used them is when he's flat on, no, he's not flat on, he's on, on the ground coughing up water that he'd inhaled after he's seven years old, coughing up water that he'd inhaled after being thrown into murky water by a man that he didn't see coming. And he opens his eyes to his mother standing over him. And he, the way he describes it is, even by seven, he'd seen enough movies to know what happens in normal families when a kid almost drowns, about how everybody gets somber and parents hold their kids tight and there's sort of this hush there. But he didn't have that kind of mother. And he opened his eyes to Claire standing over him, and she's like, all right, so you did this, and that was good, but then you did this, and now you're dead. And that is a, a three-paragraph interlude in the story that ties past and present, but also shows the reader something they didn't see in the first book. So Jack's memory, it's, it's new to, to previous readers, but it introduces to new readers exactly what his life was like mm-hmm. growing up, right? That's how I'm handling that. And how early in the book do you put something like that in the second book? I don't actually know yet because right now... <laughs> it's a block. <laughs> it's a block, exactly. I mean, I know it's in one of the first few chapters that introduces Jack, but I don't know how far into the story it will be before we actually see something from his point of view because I'm writing different the different characters' timelines according to the actual story. And once I'm finished, I will move them all back into the master file. And then, you know, it could be 30 pages in, it could be 50 before we actually see his point of view. I don't know. Okay. Fascinating. And I appreciate the insight into book two. (laughs) I really am trying not to spoil it, but those are the types of things. It won't ruin the story. It just gives you a sense of what I mean in practical terms. And if any of you remember this in late 2019, when this book comes out, probably... (laughs) Kudos to or you. Tw- or 2020, yeah. I mean, or, 20, yeah or, yeah or sometime yeah. in 2020, yeah. Yeah, kudos to you, because I know I'll forget. But I, I, <laughs> <laughs> No, you'll read it, and it'll sound really familiar. And you'll be like, oh, I heard about this on a podcast. 
All right, and now the adventure will be, and you guys will already know what the title of this episode is before you get to this point, but I'm thinking, how in heaven's name am I going to title this episode? So we'll, we'll get that sorted out, and it will somehow we'll have a title on Tuesday when this comes out. And I expect I'll get help from Taylor on that. So thank you guys very much for being with us again this Tuesday, and we will be back with you again a week from now. Thanks for sticking with us, guys. We're so happy to have you. 